I love being here. As I walked in the door, I love being in Northern Ireland, and I was walking in the door, I'm thinking, this is deja vu. I've been here before, and I was here before, and this is what happened to me. I went home and collapsed and ended up in hospital and nearly died. So go gentle on me this time. <laughs> I believe, I just, it's just so weird. I mean, that itself is an, is an incredible story because my wife was, we live in a manse, and that's a, the only job that's now left with a tied house. And my wife was actually told, you need to look for a new house because your husband's probably not going to live. And if he does live, he'll be brain dead. And, uh, you know, the fact that I, that after a long time I was in ICU for seven weeks in hospital for 11, I think. Um, for me, it's, it, it's amazing that I'm alive and it feels... But when I go back to places that come from that time, I have this really weird feeling. So this, it's, it's really weird being here, and I'm very thankful to be here. I'm going to tell you something that... I mean, I'm not particularly given to um, you know, hearing the Lord saying things to me and all that kind of stuff. I'm a bit too cynical for that. But I was lying in hospital... And I remember it because there was, I was beginning to recover. I was only in the high dependency unit, but I was still nil by mouth. Horrible words. Um, and there was a guy across me, and he had this huge bowl of fruit and chocolates and everything. And he wasn't even eating them. And I'm just sitting watching, being tortured with it, drips everywhere and not even allowed water. And I remember just lying there, and I was just praying, and I couldn't read. I couldn't do anything, which for me was torture. And... I had in my head Ephesians because I'd been preaching on it. So I was just thinking, thinking, thinking. I was praying. And I, it wasn't a voice, but I'm absolutely certain that God said to me, you're going to get out of here. And whether it's for five months, five years, or 50 years, that's none of your business. But you have to preach my word. And I was absolutely convinced of that. And I'm still convinced of that. And so that's what I do. I just, I, I don't care anymore about what people say. Uh, I think the, the situation's too urgent. And it's not about me. It's about the people around. So even today, you know, I find this enormously heartbreaking. Just when I came in, one of the political leaders in Scotland and the green leader in England put out a tweet that I got celebrating, celebrating the UK government or the UK parliament passing uh, a law enforcing abortion on Northern Ireland. And I, I just, I, I wanted to weep for it. Tell you why I want to weep. Because I remember when my daughter had a 20-week-old uh, and was in severe danger of losing that. And you look at the, the scans, you look at these things, you think, it's a, a child, it's a child, it's not a fetus. And to me, it's barbaric the way that we're going in our culture. That's one thing, but there are many, many other things in the culture as well. I would say our culture is very, very, very confused, and we need clarity, and unfortunately, in the church, the church is often very, very confused. Um, you know, sometimes I go into church, I just want to get out and walk out. I remember Dick Lucas, the wonderful Dick Lucas, who's, what, 90-odd, and he's still preaching, and he said to me once, Dear boy, sometimes I get up in the morning and I can't be bothered going to church. It's so dull. <laughs> I thought, that's wonderful. Um, but, we, you know, we need clarity and we need compassion and we need courage. See, the brethren in me still wants to do all the alliteration. But we need that. We need the, you know, 
And I, I honestly think that in, for most of us, courage is, is a missing ingredient. I think often compassion is because we get so frustrated. And I think clarity is, is something that's missing in the church. So what I'm going to do tonight is I want to uh, have a look at some things in the culture. I'm going to stop every now and then, and I'm going to say if you've got any questions or comments. And what you're going to do um, is, you know, you can respond or not. You can discuss or not. In the free church, what happens is if you ask people to comment, what they do is they look at their feet. So I'm just assuming that you've all got nice shoes and you don't need to look at your feet. And it makes it so much more interesting. You know, I, I mean, I'll just tell you, I'm a terrible one for stories, but one night we had a, do you have a prayer meeting in the church here? Yeah, what night's that one? Okay, Wednesday night. So we had a Wednesday night prayer meeting and there was only about 20 people at it. And I looked at them and they all looked zonked out their heads. You know, and I just thought, oh, these people are tired. They've just come from work. So I said, look, guys, you're really, really tired. I'm just going to talk for five minutes. A couple of you will pray, and then we'll go home. And I started to talk, and I was speaking about um, what Paul says. He's a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. And this voice shouts out from the back, ah, that's garbage. You've never seen a congregation wake up so quickly. <laughs> and they were like, oh. And I looked at him, and I thought, he's not drunk, but he's probably stoned. So I thought, I'm going to go with this or not. And I thought, no, I'll go with it. I said, all right, what's your, tell me why that's garbage. And he says, well, you're talking about Paul. And Paul was a Christian. He wasn't a persecutor and a violent man. My name's Paul. I'm a persecutor and a violent man. Okay. <laughs> um, and we began this conversation. And for about an hour, we went back and forward, back and forward, back and forward. And he was saying things like, how come... I'm a scumbag, and my sister was an angel, and she died. That's real. I mean, we had, I mean, it was like, it was one of those just God moments. My favorite, absolute favorite, and this is what I, I want to do to you lot, was he stood up at one point, and he said, I'll do it in Scots first. He says, how do you people ken you're Christians? You know, translated, how do you people know that you're Christians? And he looked at me, and he said, you you shut up. You've been talking enough. And he turned around at the congregation and went, how about you? How do you know you're a Christian? I'm going, wow, Lord, I'm going to pay this guy to come back every Sunday. <laughs> how do you know you're a Christian? How do you know you're a Christian? And, and then the loveliest moment of all was just, you know, it was beginning to just think we were done. One of my elders stood up, and he's a lovely man, and he, and he was in tears. He was crying. And he said, Paul, Paul, we're done, but I'm going to pray for you. And he prayed the most beautiful prayer. And I thought, this is Christianity, and this is why I'm a Christian, and this is lovely. So I think when God works in our churches, there's a lot of different stuff that happens. And I don't think it's wrong for you to ask questions. I don't think it's wrong. I think we need to teach in our churches because our culture is all over the place, and people are phenomenally confused. I mean, I got an email last week from a woman saying, David, I'm an ex-Mormon lesbian, and I love what you say. And I'm good. This is, doesn't make any sense. But we're actually going to be meeting up just to talk about some things. And I've met with some transgender people as well with different things. And it's just our, our society is in such a mess. And I feel particularly for children and younger people that, that there's no 
direction. So I'm going to look at some of these things. Now, Britain turned upside down. Um, I, I put Britain because you're still part of Britain. You know, and also, I think if Britain was upside down, then the important part would be the north of Scotland, which it is. And London would be just way, way, you know, one of the far off regions. But I'm saying turned upside down because uh, I want to read this to you. If, you. if you have a Bible, you can look it up. If you don't have a Bible, that's fine because it's not a huge amount. Um, it's in Acts chapter 17. And the story of in Thessalonica, where they went to a Jewish synagogue. Paul went into the synagogue. That's what he normally did. Three Sabbath days, we're told, verse 2, he reasoned with them from the scriptures. It's interesting, isn't it? He reasoned with them from the scriptures. I think one of the problems we've got in the church today is we're far too often trying to go to people's hearts to get them to make a decision, not going through their minds. And people say, oh, you're just being academic. No, I'm not. I want to go for people's hearts. But you can't just go and say to people, believe in Jesus if they haven't a clue who Jesus is. And why should they believe? So I think we should reason with people. That's what he did. Explaining and proving that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I'm proclaiming to you is the Christ, he said. Again, we should be proclaiming Christ, not ourselves. Just an important aside. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and not a few prominent women. But the Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other brothers before the city officials shouting, these men who've caused trouble all over the world have now come here. Well, you asked about my um, education. When I was training to be a free church minister, this was my text. But in the King James Version, it was these men who've turned the world upside down. And that's a title of a book by Christopher Hill, the Marxist historian about the... um, English Civil War and the Puritan Revolution. And I loved it. I loved this idea of the world being turned upside down. It was only later on that I started using the NIV and I discovered that the words they translated was these people who've caused trouble all over the world have now come here. I think this is a fundamental problem with the church today. We don't believe in turning the world upside down and we don't cause trouble. And what I mean by that is we shouldn't be going out to cause trouble and upset people and do stuff. What I'm saying is if the gospel begins to work, there's always a reaction. Always a reaction. Um, And I think some of us are cowards. I think we just want to hide. We want to lament. We want to moan. Oh, things aren't aren't as they were in my day. And then not do anything. And I, 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 I honestly, to me... That's the equivalent of being in the midst of a famine and having a great supply of grain and and refusing to go out and share it. So what kind of world was being turned upside down? Let me just uh, go on to the next one and just say something about that. Um, The Roman world. It's a world in which there was an enormous gap between rich and poor. It was a pagan world where there were many gods 
but where Caesar was the ultimate god, and if you didn't obey Caesar, you were in enormous trouble. It was a world where there was a great deal of trouble and strife, even within the church, right from the very beginning. That's what the New Testament letters are about. And I think this is what the key to understanding our culture is this. You have politicians. Well, okay, you might not have, not all of the politicians in Northern Ireland will say this, but most politicians want to say we're progressive. Because what's the opposite of being progressive? It's being regressive. Now, here's the thing. What our politicians call progressive is actually regressive. It's not that we're moving forward to some kind of secular nirvana where the only people who are stopping peace in Northern Ireland are the religious bigots or the only people who are stopping prosperity are religious freaks. What's happening is this. We are regressing from a Christian worldview And instead of advancing as humanity, we're going back to a Greco-Roman pagan worldview. So, for example, the view of the body, the view of sexuality, the the gap between rich and poor, the the whole question in, in the early church, a big issue was infanticide and abortion. There isn't one thing that occurred then that we're not going back to now. And, I mean, the, the way that women were treated... You know, I find it ironic that I live in a society which keeps talking about, you know, how we need to respect women and do for women and all the rest of it. And when I went to Edinburgh University, my sister could walk across the meadows in Edinburgh and that would be fine. She couldn't do that now. It's far too dangerous. Uh, In a strange kind of way, I I happen to think that um, churches really should be feminist in, in, in a biblical way. You know, the respect for women and so on, because I don't, I think in our culture where sex is used to serve everything, sell everything, uh, I, I think that the way that many women are treated, maybe not if you're rich middle class, but many poor women are treated, I think it's appalling. And the church needs to, you know, that was a world that was being turned upside down. And I do think that Christianity is fundamentally revolutionary and radical. Not by being out on the streets protesting. That's not what they did. Paul and these guys didn't walk down the streets of Thessalonica going down with Roman paganism. They just taught Christ. And it changed people. And it turned the world upside down. What kind of world is Britain today? Um, Well, what I want to do is I want to suggest uh, some things and then maybe uh, we'll stop and uh, have a look at some of... maybe after each one. I think the first one is this. And I think this is quite important to grasp. People don't mind most people being religious. You want to be religious, that's fine. But it's along the lines of line dancing. Now, I don't know how many of you are into line dancing. If you're into line dancing, good. Just do it in a line dancing club. Please don't do it on the street and don't do it anywhere in my sight. You know, that's fine. You're free to do line dancing. You're free to join a knitting club. You're free to be a Trekkie fan. That's fine. You're just not going out with my daughter. Um, if, you know, if you don't know what a Trekkie fan is, good. You're, you're in a sane world. But uh, I have, I've met people who are just fanatical about Star Trek, and they almost think it's for real. And they go to clubs uh, and, and watch Star Trek movies and dress up and speak Klingon and drink Romulan ale and, 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 and all that kind of stuff. Well, most secularists will say, no, 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 we're for religious freedom. 
We want all religions to be equal. Just, it's like a club. Just do it like a knitting club. Um, and we, I think the church has bought into that in quite a way. Just let us get on with our own wee churches and do what we can. And I think that what's happened is that people think we will, humanity's getting better. Now, one aspect of the theory of evolution is what's called social Darwinianism. And that's the idea that you eliminate the weak and humanity just keeps getting better and better and better. So remember when Tony Blair came to power, some of you, what was his theme song? Things can only get better. Well, they didn't. But every politician tells you things are going to get better. And people, there are even now some of the, the main secularist philosophies saying, actually, things are getting better all over the world. Disease is down and the gap between rich and poor and so on. And there's a kind of view that, well, the world's just going to get better. And when it doesn't, people get really, really frustrated. Now, here's the interesting thing. Ever since the Enlightenment, all forms of utopianism have largely been the view being portrayed by people, things are going to get better. We'll have a revolution, we have to kill a few people, but after that, things will be better. There'll always, things will always get better. There's a, a French philosopher called Louis Namier who said this, Hitler and the Third Reich were the gruesome and incongruous consummation of an age which as none other believed in progress and felt it was being achieved. See, here's the thing about the Nazis. And I, this, is what, this is what I studied at university. I studied Weimar Germany and the Nazis. The Nazis came to power in the most sophisticated, advanced, cultured, scientific nation in the world. Germany was not a barbaric nation. It wasn't a pagan nation. And here's the, the most astonishing thing. A significant number, if not a majority of academics, supported the Nazis. And not just for their careers. Now, I, all of that puzzles me. What were they trying to do? They were trying to build a better society. They believed that society was getting better, and they believed that certain people were in the way. In their case, they believed the Jews were in the way. But I think there are many people in our culture today who believe that those of us who would hold to a biblical Christian position, that we're the ones who are holding back progress. So you, you, you may find this a little bit strange, but... Almost there's not a day goes by when I don't get hate mail because I'm in the public eye and because I do. And I'm not some kind of rabid right winger. You know, if you want to know my personal politics, I'll tell you. But I'm not, you know, like that. And positions I articulate are just ones that the Christian church, including the Catholic church, has taught for many, many, many years. All through, through all our, our history, really, the biblical position, and it was the position on which our society was founded. And what our society is doing is, it's rejecting its Christian roots, and it's then saying, but we're still going to have the fruits. So, liberty, equality, diversity, three great mantras of our culture. Where do they come from? Just get, let me just take one of them, equality. All men are created equal. Well, where do, was that? Oh, created equal, yeah. But what if we're not created? Because here's something, scientifically, we are not equal. I mean, look at me. I'm not Usain Bolt. I can't run as fast as Usain Bolt. I do not have the brain of Stephen Hawking. And apparently, uh, my family on the female side tell me I'm not as good-looking as Brad Pitt. Now, I deny that, but I don't look in a mirror ever, so I can't see myself. But we're not equal. This idea of equality, what do you mean by equality? 
We're not equal heights. We're not equal intelligence. We're not equal in backgrounds. We're not equal in finance. What do you mean by equal? Now, the secularist has no answer to that. The Christian does. Because the Christian goes back to Genesis 1, 26, 27. All human beings, male and female, are created in the image of God. So I walk out in the street tonight and there's a guy there lying in his own urine. I can't look at him and go, you scumbag. You're subhuman. I see somebody who's made in the image of God. And that changes everything. I think the child in the womb is made in the image of God. That's why I care about that. It doesn't matter what your race. It doesn't matter what your sexuality. I, was, I did a program with a transgender activist, and afterwards the producer said to me, David, I was utterly amazed by that. You treated them with such respect, even though you strongly disagree with their position. And I said, well, why wouldn't I treat them with respect? Because in today's culture, if you don't agree with someone, they must hate you. Whereas I grew up in a world where we're supposed to respect everyone, even those we disagree with. That's the Christian position. And I respect people because they're made in the image of God. But I love them enough to want to tell them about Jesus. So this, but this secular utopianism says we're on our way to a better world. And when it doesn't happen, they get really frustrated and really angry. And they want to get rid of the obstacles. And that's why I personally believe, you know, I, I was going to say, let's not talk about Brexit because I'm so fed up of it. But, you know, you're for Brexit and you think, once Britain is released from the tyrannical, you know, EU, we'll be free and prosperous and everything will be wonderful. Okay? Fair enough. That's your point of view. And on the other hand, you may be totally for the EU. And I find it the most bizarre thing I've seen in many, many years people marching on the streets of Britain with EU flags and crying because we're not in the EU. It's a political organization. There's lots of things to cry about. Dundee haven't won a game for 12 matches. I'll cry about that. But not belonging to a political organization. Where, where did this come from? I watched a woman on, on, on YouTube crying because she thought leaving the EU meant that Nando's weren't going to be allowed in Britain. They're a South African chain. Got nothing to do with Europe. So, you know, it... it, it the, but, but this, this, if only we're in the EU, everything will be wonderful. Or if only we're independent from the EU, everything will be wonderful. No, it won't. The world will still be governed by corrupt people. It doesn't matter. I mean, I, I like the, the Who's song, uh, Won't Get Fooled Again, about a revolution. Meet the new boss, same as the old boss. Won't get fooled again. So I, I do think that we've got this secular utopianism. Now, I'm going to stop for questions with the second one because religious fundamentalism. Um, we're in a Britain where there is religious fundamentalism. It's in different ways. There are some Christian forms, not much, to be honest, I don't think. But there are some, Catholic and Protestant. And what I mean by that is an unthinking, unquestioning form of Christianity which excludes other people and lacks the compassion. I've seen it. I've experienced it. And it's a temptation to go into it, but we can't go into it. If you, if, if, if you mean by fundamentalism, every one of us has fundamental beliefs, those who believe the Bible, okay, then that's a good thing. But I'm talking about a narrow fundamentalism that says because they wear gray suits and not black suits, they're not really part of us, you know. So I do think that that does exist in the Christian church. But where it primarily exists in the United Kingdom today is in the Islamic faith. 
And my neighbors are, are, are Muslim when I was in hospital. Um, Mohammed, so I worked out they were Muslim. I'm quite intelligent that way. Uh, Mohammed came along uh, and was one of the first people to visit me. And I, I, I mean, I love when Eid's on because we get lots of food and, and things like that. You know, and they're great neighbors to have. So I'm not talking about that. But what I'm talking about is this. I'm talking about, in my city, I went to a mosque on a Monday to take part in a debate with a pagan, a Muslim, and a Baha'i. And it was quite funny because the, the Muslim uh, men, they, it was only men allowed, um, uh, absolutely loved me because I destroyed the Baha'i and the pagan. And they came up to me and said, David, 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 you're almost a Muslim. If it wasn't for Jesus, you'd be a Muslim. And I said, well, thank God for Jesus. <laughs> and the imam came and took them away because we started talking. But um, on a Monday night, in a city where the, there's only 3,000 Muslims, 200 young men were gathered for a prayer meeting. Not the Friday, not their normal day of worship. 200 young men, and that's in only one of four mosques. I don't know a single church. In fact, if you put us all together, I doubt we'd get that many young men coming to a prayer meeting. See, here's the thing. You don't need to get 50% in a culture to have that culture be radically changed by a religion which people believe and practice. In my view, it's 5 to 10%. And in many areas of the UK, that's where that's coming in. Now, my view about Islam is that God has sent these Muslims so that we can proclaim the gospel to them. But I'll tell you this. If we don't, then I have no doubt whatsoever that secularism will not be taking over this country. In some form or other, it will be some kind of Islam. Because these, you need to understand about Islam, it's not just a religion, it's a political system. And they don't make divisions like that. And I admire a lot of Muslims for their commitment. But here, let me tell you something. If you had 5 to 10% of people in, in Northern Ireland who were genuinely committed biblical Christians, this whole country would be turned upside down. Oh, but we've got X amount of people. No, you haven't. You've got people who go to church and they're dropping like flies. And the Presbyterian church is really on its way to extinction. Because we've lost this kind of radical commitment. So I think religious fundamentalism, we are a society, we're a mixed society where we've got people who are kind of secular, progressive, and we're marching onto nirvana, and then you've got lots of other people who are being attracted to religious fundamentalism because they see that the secular thing is not working. I'm embarrassed when my Muslim neighbor uh, talks to me about what's going on in this country and what he sees. And I have to agree with him. And he's saying, and it's young people who are being radicalized because they're not seeing anything. My son is doing a church plant in the poorest housing estate in Dundee. So they buy a shop. Well, they don't buy it. They rent a shop from the council. And they do it up. And as they're doing it up and painting it, local people start wandering in. And do you know what they ask them? Is this a needle exchange? Or is it a mosque? Because that's what working class people now think religious people are going to be. Mosque, or in some cases, Catholic. The idea of a living, lively Protestant church in working class areas. It's not very often that that happens. You know, they're all latte drinking evangelicals in their chinos. <laughs> Sorry, that's a bit unfair, but you know, um, I'm a church full of that, and I love my lattes as well. Just don't do the chinos. Um, baby chino. Uh, 
So, I, I think those are two things. We'll come on to some others. Do you want to ask or say anything about religious fundamentalism or where we're at or, or even the other stuff, the progressive stuff? You want to ask a question? You want to make any comment? If not, as you've probably gathered, I can carry on talking. So, I'll give you a couple of seconds to think about it. Anyone want to? You can raise your hand. And if you don't want to, I will carry on. Okay? Fine. Let's go on to the next one. A very simple thing. State fascism. What does that mean? You get called fascist for everything. I get called, you, if you disagree with someone, you're a fascist. You know. What is fascism? Fascism, particularly in its proper form, was Italian. Uh, you could argue that the Nazis were fascist in some way. What it believed was a, um, an authoritarian state controlling things, and particularly through corporations. Another word for fascism was corporatism. Now, when I say we've got state fascism, what I mean by this is just, it's a very, very simple thing. If in a society you have different authorities, so the church was unquestionably an authority, and the state is an authority, I would argue the family, there's an authority in there as well. If you have different authorities, I think you have a kind of balance. But if you remove God and if you remove the church, what's going to replace that? The state. So the state's going to tell you your morality, the state's going to tell you what to believe, and the state is going to teach its doctrines. And here's the thing, without the Christian idea of tolerance, the state is going to be fundamentally intolerant. And that is what is happening. I, I do write a blog and I write about a lot of different things. I have members of parliament and members of the Scottish parliament write to me and say, David, we agree with you, please keep writing, but we can't say it because we'll get in trouble. I have teachers who, when they're faced with the transgender stuff, they write and they say, we absolutely agree, but we can't say anything because we'll lose our jobs. I go onto the BBC and within a minute of being on, without having said anything, people are writing in saying, get that fascist off. Oh, well, I didn't, I said I might tell you what my politics were. I mean, I used to be known as Red Robo, so that kind of tells you where my politics were. Um, I just, I've given up on it, on it all in that sense. But I'm absolutely not a fascist. I know what a fascist is. But here's what's happening is, and this is happening in our schools, and this I think is a key issue here in Northern Ireland. Schools are meant to teach children how to think. They're not meant to teach them what to think. And I meet so many people who don't know how to think. Cambridge University had a lecturer who came on the television and he was talking about social media and the way we use the internet and so on, affecting the, way our, the chemistry of our brains and how we think. But he said this, he said, I ask first-year undergraduates to read a book. Do you know what they say to me? What? A whole book? You know, it's ironic that before the Reformation, our, our country was a dumbed-down culture where you could only communicate the gospel through mystery plays or something. That's what the church thought. And then the Reformation came along, and what did John Knox and others say? They said, every time you've got a church, you've got a school. Because we're going to teach people to read. And because the working man should be able to read. My dad was a farm laborer all his days. He left school when he was 13. He's got a fantastic library. I hate it when middle-class Christians go, oh, to reach the working-class people, you have to dumb down. No, you don't. You really don't. Everyone can think. They may not all be academics, and I've met academics who are as thick as bricks. That's not the issue. 
The issue is encouraging people to think. And what's happening in our culture with what I call this state fascism is our education system is now turning very much into social engineering. So in my city, in the school, primary schools in my city, do you know what primary children are being taught? That you're assigned a gender at birth, that you can change your gender whenever you want, and that gender has nothing to do with sex, your biological sex. I mean, I was confused enough when I was a teenager. And then people are telling me, well, you can change your gender whenever you want. You, you think, you know, you, you make this stuff up. And some of the older people here, like my parents are in their 80s, and this is incomprehensible to them. But that's because they're wise. There's a campaign just now to stop officials referring to pregnant women as pregnant women. Why? Because all genders can get pregnant. No, they can. I can't get pregnant. I mean, look at me. I've got a hernia, but I can't get pregnant. It's just actually impossible for me to get pregnant. But kids are being taught this. So one of my friends goes in doing a nativity in a school in Dundee, primary school. Eight-year-old girl stands up when she says, Mary was a pregnant woman. And this eight-year-old girl stands up and says, you can't say that. How do you know she was a woman? And you're thinking, what on earth are we doing to these kids? And so, in the Scottish government and the UK government just now, they're both pushing through agendas called the Gender Recognition Act, which <laughs> you can go into a post office and sign a form and say you're a different gender. You don't need to go to a doctor. You don't have to live it. You don't have to have any tests or any. You can just say it. And legally, you will be. And so, therefore, legally, you could be a rapist and allowed into a women's shelter. We've had a case just recently of a man who was convicted of severe rape against two women, claimed to be transgender. He was put into a female prison. He raped four more people. Here's the bizarre thing. The feminists used to be, the feminists and I used to argue, the radical feminists. Now I'm on the side with the radical feminists. They're quite right. You can't erase women from the culture. And that's, I mean, that's what I mean by confused. But the state fascism is this. I went to meet with the Scottish government, um, their officials, they asked me to meet with them about this particular gender recognition bill. And they said, is there any way that you would accept this? And I said, no, not at all. Because what's your minimum that you would look for? Don't teach you the kids. That's, that would be my first. Have protected categories like women's sport. Have you seen the Iranian women's football team? Eight of them are men. Why is that? You should see them. I mean, they, they look like men. And the only reason that they're men is because in Iran, Iran used to be the number one country for gender reassignment surgery. Why? Because they hate homosexuals. And so if a guy said he was a homosexual, oh, well, really, you're a woman. So go and get the operation. I mean, it's just bizarre. So uh, one was women's sport or, you know, protected categories. And then the third one, and this one really surprised me, their reaction. I said, I'd also like to be free not to go to jail for thinking that a woman is a woman and a man is a man and saying it. And they took that one seriously and they said, that's a real problem. You know, you just, you're kidding. But this is what state fascism is because state fascism is the state saying, this is the doctrine, this is the truth and you'd better accept it. And if you don't accept it, you're not getting a job. You can't work in the media. You can't work in university. I think of a doctor I know who did transgender surgery and eventually gave it up because it's an 80% negative outcome. I said to him, please can you go on record and say that. He said, no, I'd lose my job. 
I think of another doctor I know who could be in danger of losing his job as a university lecturer because he's refusing to, refusing to sign a policy put out by the university which states that gender is a social construct and nothing to do with biology. And he's saying, I'm not signing it because it's unscientific. It's nonsense. And we don't treat people medically like that. You start giving someone who's got a female body male drugs or vice versa, you could end up in severe trouble. But that's where we're at. And the state is seeking to enforce this. So I think that's a state fascism. A couple other things I'll mention, um, and then we'll see where we go. Uh, consumerist, dumbed-down materialism. Every high street's becoming the same. And Amazon rules. You know, and you just... People... We're so materialistic in so many ways. And it is a case of let them eat cake and, you know, who cares, as long as people... So what's all the argument about the EU, for example? And again, without saying either way, it sickens me that it's all about money and how am I going to be better off and everything. It's not that money is unimportant, but principles, everything. I think we live in a very consumerist society where people want bigger houses, better cars, nicer clothes... We were in Australia for um, three months on sabbatical, and we couldn't really afford it, so we were looking, you know, typical Scots, eh? anyone can give us free accommodation, you know, and this lovely man called Simon Manchester and his wife Kathy, who's an Anglican vicar, said, we have a granny flat, so, but they said, do you want to stay in it for three months? We loved it. It was a one-bedroom flat with a tiny wee kitchenette. And we just loved living. And we came home and my wife said, right, let's clear this out, let's clear that out, let's get rid of this. We just accumulate stuff and stuff and stuff and none of it we take with us. And yet we buy into the lie. I know Christians who will say, oh, I'm really sound on gay marriage and I'm against it. And they're greedy and materialistic. Well, Jesus taught a lot more about that than he did about sex. Why don't we take it on board? I do think we live in that kind of society. New age paganism, not everyone's materialistic. Um, to me, this is insane. I, I kind of saw it coming about 25 years ago, but I don't think I would have seen it 30 years ago. Paganism's back in vogue. We have pagan societies. Did you see the thing about Brett Kavanaugh, the US Supreme Judge? They put a hex on him and a hex on Donald Trump. Um, I smile about it, but when I did the debate with a Muslim, it was a young Dundee girl who said she was a pagan. We're going back to Greco-Roman paganism. You know, Christians should be environmentalists. Of course we should. But tree worship? I mean, I used to refer to tree huggers as a kind of joke. I don't do that anymore because there's some in my congregation. You know, I don't know who's going to walk in. Come hug a tree with me. You're not allowed to hug human beings in case you get accused of sexual abuse, but you can hug trees. I think we should start accusing them of tree abuse. Um, sexual confusion. Now, I've mentioned this already, and dysfunctional families. I'm not going to say anything. You can, you can ask about that. But the sexual confusion is unbelievable. I take a bunch of kids, 20 kids, from one of our housing schemes off to a camp. 19 out of the 20, I can't say to them, go home to your mum and dad. In fact, one boy, I said... I asked him about his dad, and he said, which one? I said, what do you mean? He says, well, I've got a Monday dad, a Tuesday dad, a Wednesday dad, a Thursday dad, and a Friday dad. And his mom has weekends off. I mean, it's a madness. Here's the, the, the really 
frustrating thing for me. People in the AB class, you know, the, the, the wealthy, the middle class, who basically run our culture, who are the civic elites. And I'm sorry if I sound a bit of a, a socialist like this, but do you know this? They're the ones who are saying, let's have sexual freedom. I remember when we were all hippies in the 1960s and free love and wasn't it great and isn't it great? People in those classes are 80% likely to be married in stable marriages. People in the DE class, basically working class and the poor, are 40% likely to be married. This really, this kind of sexual ethic that's taught as though it was self-evident. Sleep with whoever you want. Treat sex like a, an, an appetite for food. In fact, our government in Scotland is much more likely to regulate your eating habits than they are to regulate your sexual habits. And yet, that's what's causing so much devastation. So much loneliness. STDs, abortions. The destructiveness... You know that one of the biggest problems with this thing? 40% of nine, ten-year-old boys in my city have seen extreme hardcore porn on their phones of such a nature that I wouldn't describe it. I'll confess when I was a teenage boy, it was Playboy magazine under the bed. Try explaining that to your mum. Playboy magazine is so tame now compared with this stuff. This is stuff that once you've seen it, you will never, ever forget it. It's seared on your brain, and these are 10-year-old kids. And you wonder why there's so much sexual abuse within our culture, why there's a million people on the sex abuse offenders register in the United Kingdom. I mean, it's madness. You can, how, in how many churches? I, I once mentioned about online pornography in my own congregation, and four guys individually came up to me after and said, Dave, I've got a problem with this. It's a serious problem because it's just so easily available. It's so exploitative of women and of men. And there's just this mass confusion. I mean, what do you do with somebody who comes to you and says, and maybe I just m mix with weird people, but says, you know, hi, David, I'm a, uh, you know, I'm a, um, a woman. I'm a man who's become a woman, but I'm a lesbian. And say, okay, so you're a male lesbian, meaning basically you want to have your cake and eat it. You want to say that you're a woman, but you also want to sleep with women without having any of the operations. How does that work? It's sick. That's how it works. But that's where it's going. And the extent of child sexual abuse, it's not just Catholic priests, it's everywhere everywhere. And that's because watching pornography, amongst other things, it's like drinking salt water. It initially satisfies you, but it gives you a greater thirst. And you go for more and more extreme stuff and more and more weird stuff. And ironically, we're going back to the Greco-Roman pagan stuff again, aren't we? Because when Paul's writing about homosexuality and so on, he is writing about general homosexuality. But in Roman culture in particular, it was taking boys and abusing boys. And incidentally, in the big scandal in the Catholic Church in the United States, the media have not been honest in reporting that. Something like 90% of the cases have been priests abusing teenage boys. Now, please be very careful with that. 
Don't ever say, don't equate homosexuality with pedophilia or abuse because there are plenty of people who are homosexual who are not. But nonetheless, when you remove God's standards and you say, well, why not? And I'm telling you that what's going to happen in our culture with this, we've gone for same-sex marriage. We will absolutely go for polygamy. There's no argument against polygamy in, in our culture's view, not really. When I heard Theresa May this week addressing the LGBT pink news thing saying, isn't it wonderful, we've got this freedom, you can marry whoever you want. No, you can't. You can't marry two people. That will change. I also think that incest will change. Because if the rule is you can sleep with whoever you want, if you love them, then what about the professor in the University of Columbia who wants to marry his daughter? Oh, you can't do that because it's, it, it's, um, uh, there'll be, the children will be damaged. No, no sterilized. What's your problem? If the rule is you can sleep with whoever you want, marry whoever you want, why can't I marry my brother? Oh no, that's disgusting. Well, take away the yuck factor. Let's talk about your logic. My logic is God tells us what's best, and he's told us that marriage is between the man and woman. Your, your logic is that if you love one another, you can marry. Go figure. But here's the one that I didn't think would happen. In the early 1970s, with, with the development of queer theory, which is what, out, out of which has come much of the stuff we're seeing today, it looked for a while as though pedophilia was going to be accepted. So you had people like Harriet Harman and others belonging to an organization which actually advocated it. And then for some reason, and I don't know the reason, and honestly I just believe it was the mercy of God, by 1979, pedophilia was the ultimate sin. You know, you remember the story of the pediatrician who got beat up because people thought pediatrician, pedophilia, thought it was the same thing. They weren't too smart. Um, it wasn't in Ireland either. And you think, how did that happen? So most people still, pedophilia, that's yuck, that's horrible. Well, I've changed my mind. I now think that pedophilia will be accepted within the next five to ten years. Here's why. First of all, it's going to be classed as a sexual orientation. And it already has been in some ways. Secondly, the age of consent is going to be lowered and lowered and lowered. I was in a debate 15 years ago about gay adoption. And afterwards, my opponent was standing with me and we were talking, we were getting on fine, and some of Peter Tatchell's followers came up to me and had a go at me. And to cut a long story short, they just simply said to me, I asked them about the age of consent. Do you agree with Mr. Tatchell that he wants to reduce the age of consent down to 14 years old? And they said, no, we don't. We don't think there should be an age of consent. And I said, what do you mean? And they actually told me this. And my kids at the time were eight and seven. And they said, David, if we were babysitting your kids, we would experiment with them sexually because they need to be taught how to experience sexual pleasure. And it's just like an appetite, just like you would train kids. Did I feel sick? Absolutely. I felt totally sick. But I've come across that again and again and again. And if you're going to take Christianity out of the culture, you're going to end up with this kind of confusion. So people go, oh, no, 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 yuck, yuck, yuck. That's not going to happen. I think it is going to happen. And by the way, there have been three. The other way that it happens, first of all, you get a classification. Then you get soap operas starting portraying things. So, call the midwife, portrayed incest favorably, and you watch the kind of Lolita-type stuff 
coming into our culture where you've got an older man and a teenage girl and then various other things happening. Because there's no reason for them not to. They'll say it's going to cause harm. But wait, and, and, and they'll say that young children can't decide to have sex, and I agree completely. But then on the other hand, they'll say that a five-year-old can decide they want to change their gender. It doesn't, none of it makes any sense. So it is a confusion. We're ending up also with dysfunctional families, and that's the biggest problem, because what you end up with is the number one cause of homelessness, the number one cause of, I think, of alcoholism and drug abuse is dysfunctional families. And by the way, there's plenty of dysfunctional families in the church. I mean, I, I once said that none of our families in our church are Little House on the Prairie or the Waltons. And a couple came up to me afterwards and gave me a real row and said they were. So, okay, but, um, okay, most of us are not. Most of the hassles we have are within our families. But that's why we need Christianity to help and to guide us. And why we need the church to model what a good family is. Um, I'm going to finish with just a couple of things and see if you, want, you have any questions. If not, we're going home. Um, the church. Let me say something about the church. I think the church is in a worse mess than the culture. And I'm sorry for saying that. And I'm including my own church, my own denomination. We used to think we were the purest of the pure. We used to think the last stronghold of the pure gospel. Nah. Read your Bibles. Sin comes from within. And we're all sinners. We all are. And if God works in our churches, what you'll see is a lot of stuff coming to the surface that you are, you'll be absolutely shocked at. But why should you be shocked? Who makes us better than anybody else? We're not. We're not better than anybody else. Every single day, Martin Luther said, we need to repent. Not because he didn't believe the gospel, but because he did. And I think a lot of our churches are pretending. They're faking it. We meet and we say how nice we are and how we love one another and how we're not like the people out in the world and da 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 And we're as corrupt a cesspit as anywhere else. And so we need reformation in the church. We really do. The church needs to wake up. Church needs to, I think the church needs to return to Christ. Church politics, I was involved in politics politics. Church politics, worse. I hate church politics. And yet it happens all the time. Jealousy, fighting, infighting. You know, it's just, it's spectacular what we're doing. And yet if the church, the church is both ugly and beautiful because Christ is what he's doing is he died for us so he's making us beautiful as in Ephesians without wrinkle and spot. And here's the most amazing thing for me. People come into the church and they see great beauty. So we've had a lot of hard times in my congregation. I've had an elder commit suicide. I've had just, oh, just so many heartbreaking things, things that make you want to give up, walk away, say, I've had enough. Lord, take me home. And yet, there's also an extraordinary beauty out of all that pain. I'm wondering if you can have the beauty without the pain. I, don't, I, I, I probably don't think you can because God works away and chips away. I remember a man from Ireland, Southern Ireland, came into the church. He didn't, sorry. He didn't. His wife did. And um, she was converted because the Roman Catholic teaching about sin was different from what she was being taught in the church. And she came to realize that sin could be forgiven forever. And so she became a Christian. 
But the day she joined the church, her husband went off and joined the pagan society. So you can see there's a wee bit of a conflict there. Now, I used to meet with him, and I liked him a lot. And one day we were sitting down, and we were having a beer together, and he said to me, David, do you know this? I love everything you've got in the church, and I hate what you teach. I really hate it. It goes against everything I believe. He said, why can't we have what you've got without Jesus? And I said, no, that's how we've got it. Why do you think we've got Malaysians and Irish and Scots and rich and poor and gay and straight and you name it, they're here. The only thing that we've got in common is Jesus. And he's the only one that makes the difference. And he said to me, we should have this, but I let my kids come here. He says, I can't do anything about my wife because I'm a new man and she can do what she wants. But my kids, I let them come because this is the only place I know in Dundee where they can come and meet people of different ages, different backgrounds, different races. By the way, that's why I'm totally against the idea of having homogenous growth unit churches, which is jargon for saying everyone's the same. You want the church to be different. You want the church to reflect. You want the church to welcome people. I was quite intrigued in Northern Ireland of all places. I was in Bangor, in a Presbyterian church in Bangor. And I was talking, and I looked out, and there was a guy dressed in a dress with high heels and lipstick. And he was absolutely a guy. I mean, it wasn't just an ugly woman. It was a... Sorry. No, I don't feel that. No, it really was a guy. You know, and, and he... You know, and I just thought, okay, I didn't expect this. And then it turns out he was part of that congregation. He came along. He wasn't a member, I don't think, but he came along and, and, and went to the women's Bible study and... And you know this, I thought, well, God bless you for welcoming and helping that person. Not with a green, you know, and it was so funny. I had a conversation with him, and he was so opposed to transgender. He was just a cross-dresser. It was really quite funny. Um, But I just thought, I was so impressed with the church. Not for saying, okay, everything you're doing is fine, but just for saying, well, you need to hear the gospel, you know. And I'll give you one more example of that kind of thing. Many years ago, when I was in Brora 30 years ago, up in the Highlands, my wife just said, our, 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 our church was full of working class people, a lot of problems. I just buried a guy who went home one night and was so drunk that he ironed his shirt when he still had it on and he died of burns. I mean, you, you know, it was so desperate. And my wife said, David, can we get any ordinary people in this church? Now, I've since come to the conclusion there are no ordinary people. But anyway, um, and I said, by that you mean middle class. And she said, well, basically, well, next day, lo and behold, this lawyer from Edinburgh turned up, posh lawyer from Edinburgh. So this was great. Sandra was coming along, and it was all fine, fantastic. And then um, I got very involved, and one or two, she was very political, and so we discussed different things. And then one day she asked me to go and see her, and I went to see her. And I'm sitting there, and she said, David, I've got something to tell you. I said, what is it? She said, um, I was born a man. I used to play for a rugby club. And, I, and I, I had no idea how to handle it. This is 30 years ago, and I wasn't told anything of this in the Free Church College. And she looked at me, and she said, will I go and make a cup of tea? And I said, yes, go and make a cup of tea. <laughs> I need to desperately pray. Where's the bit in the Bible that deals with this? And she said, look, I'm telling you, because I'm going to be outed in the daily record, because I'm an SMP candidate, and... The sun is going to come out for the SMPs, so the record or labor paper, they're going to attack me. And we talked, and I went, and I said, can I tell my elders? She says, I've got to be in the paper. You can tell anyone. 
I said, okay. So I met with my elders and said, look, you know, Sandra, this is the story. And I remember this elder, Ross, who was a lorry driver, just looked to me and said, what's the problem? And I said, well, Ross, can't you see there's a problem? I said, he said, no, not really. I said, well, why not? He said, well, she needs to hear the gospel the same as everybody else. So let her keep coming to church. We'll keep welcoming her. She wants to be called she, we'll do that. What's the problem? And I said, well, what happens if she becomes a Christian and we've got, you know, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. And I thought, you know this, good highland working class common sense influenced by biblical compassionate Christianity. Not agreeing with the whole transgender thing, but just saying treating people as people. So that's us as the church. Um, what are we going to do? How does our church reach into this kind of culture? What can we do? Um, my view is just very simple. I don't know. I keep getting asked to go and say, can you tell us how we can do this? I don't know. I, I genuinely don't know. All I know is this. Teach Jesus. Live Jesus. Believe the Bible. Don't get your church into some kind of little ghetto. And you'll be amazed at what God can do. I think God worked in our church. I'm not brilliant. I've got a big mouth. That's it, as you probably gathered. And I, 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 but I believe in Jesus, and I love Jesus, and I believe his word, and I'm more than ever convinced of his word. And in the providence of God, what my minister said to me is true. I've not lost my zeal. I believe it more than ever. I've got nothing to give people except Jesus Christ. Nothing, and neither do you. So don't invite them to church because you've got good coffee or great music or your dance group's fantastic or, or whatever it is. Invite them to come and hear about Jesus. And that's what people need, and I think that's what will change lives. So, um, I'll, I'll leave something for the end, but just in case anyone wants to ask a question before we finish, feel free, because I am going to let you go, because we said an hour and a half was maximum. I had to listen to your minister, so that was my first point. No. There's 15 more. No. Mental health issues are a massive thing. For, my, my wife is a senior mental health social worker. She basically sections people, so I have to be really nice to her because I have too many doctors in my congregation. If they combine, I'm in trouble. Um, but mental health issues are huge. Uh, number one cause of death for young men in Scotland is suicide by a mile. I'm assuming it's probably the same here. Uh, but it's not just that. I, I, well off young girls nearly starving themselves to death in, in in churches that I know, in my own church, with anorexia. A young guy I almost buried because he was within a week of dying from bulimia. Not, not just, you know, um, we, my elders, we're, we're asking my elders to go through a training course in identifying certain mental health issues. Um, I do think a lot of the transgender stuff is tied up with mental health, and I think that's one of the massive problems when teenage girls, especially, uh, who are really struggling with identity and mental health, are suddenly told on the internet, this is how you can be whole, by changing your gender. I think it's really manipulative and cruel. That's one aspect of it. But there are the other aspects as well. Um, people whose brains have been addled by alcohol. The overuse of cannabis has really, you know... Um, wrecked havoc with a lot of people. I think broken families, huge amount of, you are something like five times more likely to have mental health issues as a child if your parents break up early. Um, now that's not to say that anyone who's here who's been divorced should suddenly start, oh, I'm responsible for everything. No, it's much more complex than that. But nonetheless, you're helped mentally 
if you're in a stable environment, not just at home. And sometimes the church has to provide that. So I think the church needs to make a particular effort to welcome people who have mental health issues and not treat them as weird and odd. Because my theology is that my mental health isn't that great. Because I'm a broken sinner. And I'm probably only one hour away from tipping over the edge in some ways. So for example, um, I think it's from the pit of hell to teach that depression is a sin. You know, and what about dementia? What are we doing for dementia? I think of a lovely old minister in my congregation whose wife was so, suffered so much from dementia that she'd wake up in the middle of the night and scream and call for the police because she didn't recognize him in her bed. You know, I mean, this is a huge issue. So thank you so much for raising it, by the way. Uh, I, I don't want to talk about it anymore, but I do want to encourage churches to think about that and to pray for people to go into mental health nursing. Um, there's a huge shortage of psychiatrists and there's a real problem with the overuse of drugs. We're, a, we're beginning to move towards the American model of medicalizing everything. And that's a huge mistake. But some, with some people, you're just going to have to be really patient and you're going to have to realize that their mind is probably never going to be healed until they get to heaven, where it definitely will be healed. You know? But please never stigmatize or make people who are mentally ill feel as though somehow they're subhuman. They're not. They're just broken humans in the same way as if I come in with a broken leg. I'm a broken human. So, thank you. That's a really important question. I agree we should not be surprised at what's happening, but here's why. Just as some people, secularists kind of think, we're going from, the, from basically the swamp to nirvana. We're, we're, humans are always progressing. There are a lot of Christians who think we're going from either the New Testament or the Reformation or when my granddad was alive and it's downhill ever since. No, it's not. What's happening is it's up and down. It's up and down. God brought renewal and revival to Northern Ireland several times. He can do it again. If that doesn't happen, you're stuffed. You know, you've gone too far. We, we're way too far. You know, but a, a mild rearranging of the deck chairs on the Titanic is not going to help. We need, bottom line is, we need more people to become Christians. We need people to know Christ. So you're quite right. We shouldn't be surprised because the Bible says it. But please don't think that everything's always going to get worse. Things might get better. No. Right, okay, the, the question is about unity and diversity, particularly in the context of same-sex marriage, the decision that was made in the PCI, and basically there were those who disagreed with it, and, you know, should we be going for a pure church? Should we? My, my answer to that is, is, is fairly straightforward. There are issues in the Bible which are secondary issues or which are issues about which there is significant dispute. You know, let's take something trivial, the rate of tax, or people want to argue about the current nation state of Israel or things like that. To me, you don't divide over those issues. However, if a church says that it's teaching the Bible and has within it people who say that they are teachers or elders or whatever who go against the teaching of the Bible, they can't stay. And the reason they can't stay, they can stay as, as uh, they're welcome, but I'm, I'm afraid once you compromise on something that's clear in the Bible in order to compromise with the culture, you're finished because you're saying Jesus is no longer Lord and Jesus got it wrong and we know better than Jesus. So here's the irony is people always want to fight the battles of 150 years ago. What's the battles today? What's the culture attacking us today? And it's, it's in this area of, I don't think, I mean, I'm, I 
don't think we should be going on about sex and sexuality and all that kind of stuff all the time. And I continually want to say that homosexual and transgender people are welcome in my church on the same condition as everybody else. Which is that we all recognize that we're sinners, we all need to come to Christ, and we all seek to live by his word. And so a guy comes who's an adulterer, and I, I don't, I, I would say to him, you come to Christ, you, you have to stop your adultery. That's, that's it. There's no way around that. Um, and so what, what you're saying for me is, I think the church has been fatally undermined by people who think that if we compromise with the world, somehow we'll be able to reach it. No, it'll reach us and it'll destroy us. So if someone came to me, and this is my own view, and said, David, I don't agree with your position on same-sex marriage. I can no longer be part of this church. I would say, well, you've made that issue that important. Go. I'm sorry. I'm not, I am not going to deny what Christ said about marriage. Never. And, th- and, th- and that's it. I mean, I can't. I, I'm, Christ is my Lord, not the culture. Now, there are other issues that I think are secondary issues, and there's a whole bunch of um, caveats I could put on that, but that would be the basic position. I say, well, what do you want to be a minister in the church, or what do you want to be an elder in the church if you don't agree with what Jesus said? You know, go elsewhere. You know? I think the church has been its own worst enemy. We've not given a clear voice, and we need a clear voice without being shouting at people. So, Okay, listen, um, I want to read just one verse from um, uh, Ezekiel and then just say maybe one thing more about that. Uh, it's this. Then the man brought me to the gate facing east, and I saw the glory of the God of Israel coming from the east. His voice was like the roar of rushing waters, and the land was radiant with his glory. The vision I saw was like the vision I'd seen when he came to destroy the city and like the visions I'd seen by the Kibar River and I fell face down. The glory of the Lord entered the temple through the gate facing east. Then the Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. People walked into the Corinthian church and it was a mess. And yet Paul said, let it be that they say truly God is amongst you. We're missing that in so many of our churches an awareness, a sense of the presence of God and doing things for the glory of God. Can I mention just a couple of things? One, if you're interested in Solas, um, just go on, onto that website there and have a look. Um, the other thing I want to mention, and I see that I've spelt it wrong, is I do a podcast and I had to take it away from the church. It says podcase. That's because I'm a nutcase. But, um, and... One of the things that's happened in our culture is within the media, you're getting all these loopy theories on the internet, or you're getting media which are more and more partisan. And Christians are getting very confused with the news. So I started up this podcast that we did, first of all, as part of Solas, and we've taken it away because um, basically we don't want the organization to be sued. I'll probably be the one who ends up. So I just do it on my own. Um, But if you'd like to... Uh, visit that and have a look at it and see if you think it's worthwhile and you want to use it. You can also help us support doing it. I just mentioned that. But l- let me thank you for allowing me to be here and to speak about what is my passion. I do care about our society. I do care about our culture. I do worry about where we're going and what we're doing. Um, I love Northern Ireland mainly because apart from coming here, I have loads of Northern Irish students. Uh, if I see a young female in my congregation who's new, I go up and say, 
you from Northern Ireland? You study medicine? And they go, yeah. I'm the minister's daughter in, in Lurgan. <laughs> I go, okay. <laughs> um, but we've, we've, we have some absolutely lovely students uh, from your part of the world. But I'm sorry, defending Northern Ireland as the last bastion of Christendom in the United Kingdom, that's done. Don't try it. It's done. What your job now is to use the resources that you've got to proclaim Christ in your culture and wherever else you can. And that's the only thing that will see Ireland turned upside down, Scotland turned upside down, the UK turned upside down. God did it before. He did it in the Wesleyan Revival and the Whitfield Revival. He did it in the Reformation. He did it in the 1950s in the island of Lewis. He did it in Northern Ireland, beginning of the 20th century as well. W.P. Nicholson and others. I think it's going to be different the next time. But at the end of the day, it's going to be churches that are filled with the glory of God and Christians living for Jesus that will turn each of our communities upside down. So let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the promise that you never leave us nor forsake us. Thank you that though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, yet we fear no evil, for you are with us. Your rod and staff comfort us. Thank you that your word is powerful, more powerful than anything this world can produce. Thank you for your church and your people. Renew us, restore us, and revive us, and bless each one of us here. In your name, amen.